Hi everyone, James Gross here. We are continuing to release more content for Micromobility America 2023. Next up is a conversation around electric bike and scooter battery fires that of course have plagued many cities around the world, including most specifically here in the United States, New York City. On this panel, we had Tristan Brown, the Deputy Administrator of the Pipeline Hazardous Material Safety Administration, or FISMA, along with Jason Levine, the Executive Director of the Consumer uh, Product Safety Commission, or CPSC, and Laura Cavanaugh, the FDNY Fire Commissioner. Uh, it's a great conversation. We look forward to, you, uh, of course, your comments and what you think about it. And yeah, here they are. Incredibly excited about this uh, panel that I can moderate next. And now I'll ask uh, um, two of the, the, the panelists that are here today to come up. Uh, we have the FIMSA, uh, which is Pipeline Hazardous Material Safety Administration, Deputy Administrator Tristan Brown, welcome him up to the stage. Along with the CPSC Executive Director, Jason Levine. We'll welcome Jason up to the stage as well. All right. And then, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then we have one more guest with us today um, that unfortunately couldn't be here uh, in person. We have the uh, FDNY Fire uh, Commissioner, Laura Cavanaugh. I had the pleasure to actually be with uh, Laura, Commissioner Cavanaugh, a, a couple of weeks ago in, in New York at their uh, headquarters. And um, she's had to stay back, but she still wanted to be here. And because of the, I think, the importance of this conversation. So we're going to have her come in right now, maybe. There we go. Laura. Hey. Can you hear us okay, Laura? I can. Can you hear me? No. Yeah, we just got you. We can hear you. Focus up. That was at New York. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming, Laura. Uh, you just did a little bit of a brief introduction, but of course, we'll let you introduce yourself as well. Um, but to start, let's start uh, with, with uh, Deputy Administrator uh, Tristan Brown. Uh, give us uh, just a, a bit, a bit of a back roll and, of course, the department. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, James, and thanks to uh, everybody here um, pioneering a, a new uh, emerging mode of uh, transportation. Uh, at the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, we are uh, a mode of transportation like trucks, trains, planes, vessels, uh, automobiles, which each are considered a mode of transportation within the department. We oversee about one in 10 goods that are classified as a hazardous material, and then uh, approximately 3 million miles of the uh, world's largest, most sophisticated oil, gas, hydrogen, carbon dioxide, other um, pipelines uh, uh, across uh, the country. And so we do that by setting standards for the safe transportation of hazardous materials. This is everything from whipped cream cans to nuclear waste to electric vehicle batteries, lithium-ion batteries that are being transported for commercial purposes. And uh, we set those standards and enforce them. Um, but we work closely and we are here because we want to work closely uh, with you all to understand what our, uh, the rules are and to make sure they work uh, and allow for innovation, efficiency, uh, and the incredible work that you're doing uh, to, to move people and goods uh, around our country and around the world. Amazing. Thank you for that. Uh, let's go to uh, FDNY Commissioner Kavanaugh. Can you give us a, a bit more on your background? Sure. Thanks for having me virtually. I do apologize. I couldn't make it out there. 
as usual, New York City is keeping us busy, so I have to stay uh, back home in the city. But I am the New York City Fire Commissioner. We are the lar- largest fire department in the country. We are roughly twice as large as the next li- largest fire department, which is LA. So it gives you a sense of our size. And what I always like to tell audiences who aren't from the fire service is really to think of us as an all hazards 24 7 emergency response agency. While we do still have lots of fires, we also handle 1.3 million medical calls a year. And we handle all manner of uh, whether it's a collapse, unconfined space rescue, um, an incredibly complicated city really yields complicated emergencies. I think some of you saw a couple months ago, we had a, a crane that collapsed and then also caught fire on the 50th story of a building. And it's not a totally unusual type of emergency for us. So that's where lithium-ion batteries comes in. We are always trying to stay ahead of technology. And we want to not be inhibitors of growth or innovation. Um, I myself grew up in the Bay Area, so I certainly come from an innovative place. But we also want to make sure that public safety is part of the conversation. Um, we do often feel we're um, in the, the last part of the puzzle. You know, people wait for us to say something's dangerous once it's already in people's homes. And we're trying to not only you know, warn them about the dangers of lithium-ion batteries. But as we move towards a great future, where a lot of things are going to be electrified, we are working with our state and federal partners to put a lot of investment and money and training into understanding how we can meet that electric future safely, both for our members who respond, but also for the citizens who are going to live in buildings and on blocks, especially in New York City, where it's so dense, who could live on an electrified block. And that's a fantastic thing for the future. It's a fantastic thing for the nation. A very complicated emergency if a fire was to start there. So we come at the battery problem from what is both a very urgent uh, public safety warning. Right now, it is the number one cause of fire deaths in New York City, but also with an eye on the future. You know, our job is not to stop this innovation. It's to make sure that people innovate safely. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Kavanaugh, for that and some of that background. And uh, very excited to to dig deeper into uh, what what you've been up to, um, and then as well, uh, we have CBSE Executive Director Jason uh, Levine. Yes, uh, as well, Jason, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Sure. Thanks so much, James. And briefly, we're we're an agency that um, we're an independent federal agency located just outside of DC. We are responsible in some ways for. Everything but is sort of the way I like to describe our mission. So unless it's a food or a drug or a train or a plane or a car or a gun or a bullet, it's ours. Um, And so that's where we come into all sorts of things that are probably in most people's lives, whether you get it in a grocery, in a department store and a toy store or it's just around your house, probably in some way, shape or form. Uh, the Consumer Product Safety Commission has a role in it. And our our main role is that of both educator and regulator. Uh, So we do a lot of work uh, both with mandatory standards, trying to make sure our standards around particularly uh, children's products, uh, toys, durable nursery products are a lot of where people get to know us. Also recalls. Uh, we do over 300 recalls a year of everything from all-terrain vehicles to pacifiers and everything in between. So that's 
when you think of us big picture, but one of the things we do spend a lot of time on is is research and research for a couple of different reasons. One of those reasons is to support our rulemaking activities. Sometimes those are R, sometimes those are working with uh, industry groups and stakeholders, and sometimes it's just education. How do we better educate consumers about something like bike helmets or something like uh, portable generators or categories of products that are not immediately obviously dangerous, uh, which we'd like to put in the hidden hazards category. And I think with respect to lithium-ion batteries, we're really glad to be here. That would fit into that category, certainly for many people. And certainly as of a few years ago, it didn't seem to be the sort of thing that immediately could potentially result in a fire. Uh, and so now that's something that we're certainly spending some time looking at. And in general, micromobility products uh, from a non-fire perspective, and we'll get into that, but that's also sort of an area that, that we like to spend some time trying to make sure how can we make things as safe as possible uh, where there are unreasonable risks of injury. Yeah, that's a great point. So there's going to be a lot of the conversation will be related to lithium-ion batteries, but there are other, of course, challenges to moving vehicles at the speeds that so many micro-mobility vehicles move that, of course, you have a big part in. Um, so let, let's start with Commissioner Kavanaugh. I think to give a little bit more of a background on on your task and your challenges, um, could you speak to some of the uniqueness you've seen as relates to both battery charging and swapping and is what the largest, uh, you know, what the largest delivery network in the United States, I think somewhere between 60 to 100,000 delivery workers, almost all on micromobility vehicles. Um, can you just speak to some of those unique challenges and what you've seen? Yeah, I think there's a few things that are unique to the size of New York City, but also in particular that we are a delivery city and we're not a driving city. So we not only have a lot of things delivered, as you mentioned, you know, all the big delivery companies uh, are as active uh, as anywhere in the world in New York City. But there's also some features of the city that make this what I really would say is sort of an underground economy, um, much more dangerous when it comes to batteries, but also present unique um, issues for even storing them safely. So one of those is just density. A lot of even safe devices come with instructions like keep them outside or charge them outside. Um, you are very unlikely to find a New Yorker who has outdoor space, let alone a detached or garage space. So that's one piece of it. And a lot of the deaths we've seen are people who charge their bike in the hallway. So not only in their apartment, but between them and their means of getting out of their apartment. And then the economy that you reference with the delivery workers, they're enormous demand for deliveries and not only more of them, but faster that we are seeing that, you know, frankly, no matter how many local laws we pass and how many different sort of enforcement mechanisms we put together with the mayor's office, that there's a very robust underground market for batteries. Um, and that ranges everything from what I would describe as well-known brands that aren't actually UL certified, but are certified, are sold in droves in the city. So people putting together, you know, what we call Frankenstein bikes, where they're buying different parts from different websites and actually cobbling a bike together, or are they are altering that bike to make that bike's charge last longer and go fast. Other dangers is on stage. And so, you know, what we see is this unique combination causes a lot of the batteries that we have to be particularly dangerous. <laughs> um, they start off uncertified in most cases, although... We did pass a local law and we are working with the Consumer Product Safety Commission on that and having certified bikes sold. But we also see that even certified bikes are altered after the fact. Um, they're used in this way they really weren't meant for. Um, this you know delivery model where you're going 20 hours a day over potholes, um, you know, 
salt and snow covered streets uh, and you're doing it over and over and over and then you have to charge that device in your home is a particularly dangerous combination. Um, we are seeing it in other cities, including San Francisco, but nowhere near at the rate that we are. And I think some of those things are because of the unique landscape of, of New York City. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's just so much there in terms of the the uniqueness to the challenge. Um, but then, of course, what will most likely follow? The only thing I'd add there, Commissioner Kavanaugh, I remember you told the story on was, um, well, given given what you're saying there, whether it's the faster delivery times that are now needed or the idea that delivery delivery workers are working so many hours, you'll go into homes potentially or apartments where there's four, five, 20 batteries stacked up and being charged so that those batteries can be swapped out, which I think you you termed it kind of a matchbox effect. Like it's just, it's so much more than just a, a single bike with a single battery. Uh, these sort of apartments full of batteries and the, you know, whether, whether those, how old those apartments are, how much voltage they can handle. Um, that's all issues too. Pretty fast. Yeah, we're seeing a number of um, underground, you know, we call them bodegas here, but corner stores say out there um, that have actually gone into the business, you know, not legally of renting out battery charging spaces. So like you say, you could go into a, what is a very old building and in the basement will be 20 batteries stacked next to one another charging at the same time. Many of those batteries will also have an altar, which makes them particularly unstable. So we are very worried. You know, there's the general sort of consumer market for this, which we do have worries about, but certainly can be regulated through our partners in the CPSC. But this delivery worker market is sort of unique. Um, they have a unique use of the device, but also there's, you know, so much money involved that what we're seeing is a, a really a sort of black market economy that's sprung up around this, where even when we enforce, when we come back a few weeks later, we often find the same condition because there's just a lot of money to be made in this right now. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for that background. Um, shifting over to Deputy Minister Brown, uh, for, for your view with FIMSA, um, with the problems with lithium-ion batteries, I'd just be interested in what you're hearing inside the micro. You know, how much of this is a micromobility problem versus a much broader lithium-ion problem? Like, where and where are the biggest hotspots? It, it is a, a certainly a broader problem, and even the the problem you know we were just hearing about. It's it's not the micromobility devices necessarily themselves. It is the misuse of uh, damaged, defective, recalled, non-spec uh, batteries. Um, you know, certainly. You know, don't want to confuse that with with you know devices that have been designed well. Um, but as the commissioner mentioned, uh, things get misused they uh, for a a purpose that is beyond their uh, initial design. And so, what's really incumbent, if there's one thing to take away, I think, is that we all and the and if you haven't read about the incidents in New York, uh, the fatalities. You, you really need to read about it. Um, it. It's tragic and it's people have nothing to do. You know, they don't own any of this stuff, but they live in the building where, where an incident occurs. Uh, but we can we need to. We got the brightest minds, uh, you know, in the in the um, really in the country uh, that are innovating here. We need to plan for because what we see is the end of life uh, with batteries themselves or sometimes the whole product, uh, whether it's an, an, a, a car, uh, a micromobility device, um, or, you know, what we see a lot of is just a, a bin full of uh, lithium ion batteries that have reached the end of life and they're, you know, being sent overseas for recycling. Um, we've had an entire tanker ship uh, have to turn around. I mean, you know, the big ocean going tanker uh, container ships have to stop and turn around because 
one container uh, was not properly reported what it had in it, hazardous materials, lithium-ion batteries. So that is that is an end of life. You know, may not be folks in this room uh, directly related to that, but communicating to the deliveristas uh, in New York, you know, you may have platforms or your customers may have platforms to communicate information. We work across agencies uh, with FDNY, with the CPSC here, with other agencies to try to get information in multiple languages, uh, you know, immigrants that are really just trying to save money uh, by using uh, these incredible new technologies that you're developing and deploying. And we just need to make sure, you know, what we're seeing is that end of life or the misuse on the charging, which isn't in our jurisdiction, but we still care about it. And we want to be a part of the solution, which is why we're here. Uh, we've got a team of folks here. Uh, we will engage with you if you're trying to help navigate. You have some ideas for solutions. Um, we we want to work uh, work together and across uh, government agencies at the federal and at the local level to, to solve these problems. Yeah, I think it's a good point um, that you brought up there that you guys are here and you're and I think you're trying to listen and you're trying to learn. And you, I, I hear a lot of CEOs talk about, well, you know, I'm, I try to go UL, I try to do these good things. And then I see my competitors continue getting stuff from other places. Why is that not being enforced? And so I think it's important that we're just having an open dialogue and, you know, trying to solve this all together. Well, I know the three of us will be happy if, if you're seeing something that is, uh, you know, so a competitor that's not doing something right. Any one of us wants to know. And, and you know, we want to make sure they know they're doing something wrong. Sure. Uh, and then we want to fix it. Yeah. Okay. That's well. Yeah. That's that's great to hear. You're you're here for that, um, uh, Executive Director Levine. So, um, CPSC has been in the news in our news of micromobility more recently um, around some recalls. And so, I the question to you is just uh, how do we think about the the federal government and regulations for actually not related to, to to sort of battery safety and fire issues? What are some of the examples of what might be uh, recalled or what might be under your purview? Um, that's not fire related in micro mobility. Sure, sure. No, I appreciate that, and I, and I think that's a, that's a really good jumping off point, James. Because again, and happy to discuss, and there's obvious need as both the commissioner and Tristan was talking about with respect to talking about fires. But there's obviously a lot of other pieces of the puzzle when we talk about the safety of micro mobility products, um, and our role is, I think, again, multifaceted. Uh, for the most part, we have very, very few mandatory regulations around the vast number of consumer products that we all interact with every day. There's something along the lines of 15,000 different categories of consumer products out there, and we've got a few hundred mandatory regulations. So for the most part, what we work with uh, when you see something that is being recalled, for the most part, it is there's been a specific defect related to that product that creates an unreasonable risk of uh, potential injury or death to consumers. Uh, and so that sometimes can be reported um, through, unfortunately, a, a death certificate or some something along those lines. It can just be a consumer report or they come in in a variety of different ways. But a lot of what we're trying to do is try and get out ahead of, of issues. And so we're looking to work with voluntary standards, which works with the stakeholders, manufacturers of given products. And sometimes that's a cross section. Sometimes it's just a very narrow section uh, of a product. And then the, the third piece of that, again, is the education of to something we were just talking about, using the right charger with the right battery. How do I safely use, appropriately use the product to minimize or potentially even eliminate the sort of hazards that we're talking about? You know, when we see a lot of these fires or we see a lot of problems with products, it often comes from 
uh, unintended use of a product. And so then our role is to say, is that use of a product predictable or unpredictable? Uh, and if we start to see something repeated over and over again, well, at some point that suggests we need to do a better job of educating consumers and maybe even starting a regulation. But with respect to unpredictable use of a product, um, that's a whole different level that we need to educate around. So to be specific quickly, when we talk about the regulations or potential regulations for micromobility products, at this point, we are still very much in the growing stage. We have existing regulations for old school, let's call them bikes, that, that date back to the 1970s, uh, manually powered bikes. There are no current regulations for, for e-bikes, uh, no current regulations for e-scooters, no current regulations for hoverboards. These are things that we're looking at that may be necessary or may not be, while at the same time we continue to look at if a specific product has a defect that is endangering consumers, we can work with that specific product, that manufacturer to undertake a recall. When we're talking about product category-wide, that's a much different question that takes longer and, and should be deliberate in how we, we approach it to make sure that we are addressing the variety of issues, both utility and, of course, safety. Um, I think just to, to talk briefly about this, so clearly with the CPSC, there's this, there's this great brand in a way where when, when you see the recall notices go out, when the, the trades start to pick it up, um, I'm, I'm sure it's a, it's a terrible thing for um, you know, the companies in a lot of respects. A lot of times it's really misunderstood by the consumer. So I guess let's just give you a very uh, specific example. We had, um, I think Kyle is here from from the CEO of One Wheel. One Wheel was issued with a 300,000 unit recall, as, as maybe you read it. The way different publications picked that up, it's pretty confusing to understand, okay, does recall mean like, I got to like get this thing out of my house and throw it in the trash? Does recall mean... Um, you know, I bring it to a dealer, which again, in the world of micromobility is a little bit weird. Um, does a recall mean in the world of a software, this is an over the their update. Um, and like, how do you deal with that? And how do you, I don't want to say help the companies because it's not necessarily your job to help the companies, but you know, at the same time, we don't want to bankrupt these companies necessarily. How do you deal with the idea that the headlines come out that, you know, one wheel has got to recall 300,000 units when in fact, the vast majority of those units can be fixed with an over the air update. And it's, you know, it's, it's some units that then they might offer a, a, a refund or a credit. Just curious, um, what's that process look like? And how do you help the message come out like as correctly as possible so the headlines don't start chasing whatever the headlines want to chase? Sure. So I, super quick, because it's a complicated question, but all of those things apply in different ways. So all of our recalls fit under either you get a, a full refund uh, there's a remedy to the product or there's a repair to the product. And so different recalls, again, we did over 300 last year, fit into different categories. So sometimes it'll be a refund, sometimes it'll be a remedy, sometimes it'll be just a, uh, a, a repair. Um, sometimes people do just throw the product out and sometimes there's repair. Now, you mentioned you mentioned one wheel, you mentioned over-the-air updates. This is a new area for us. We've probably done less than 10, I would guess, over-the-air wow. recalls uh remedies but there are going to be more there's gonna be a lot more of those obviously because technology is allowing that to happen more and more products provide the opportunity for that i believe we did one with a want to say it was a, a clothes washer um you know because it would because it was able to be accessed online i mean so using software the the incredible advantage of that is we can actually hit all of the people who own the product, right? For most of our recalls, it goes out, it goes in the newspaper, maybe people see it, maybe don't. Internet, wherever it might be, we're hitting a small fraction. When we can do an over-the-air update, 
it's getting everyone. And so that's something we actually prefer where that's possible. Unfortunately, that's not generally possible for your toaster. But it's, you know, because it's just generally, although some, you know, we're starting to get there, sure. they're generally not wired. So I, I think our goal, but to answer your, your fundamental question, our goal is to get consumers the safer version of the product. And in certain instances, that will be you are able to get a full refund and get it out of your house because it's just unfixable. But many times there's a fix and many times it's it's a consumer choice. But our job is actually to educate consumers. And quite frankly, 99% of our recalls are voluntary recalls are done with the company. Um, and so it is our goal to help them make sure they're reaching their consumer. Because at the end of the day, I would imagine they also want to make sure that consumer has not only just a safe product, but remains a consumer. Yes. And so they also have that incentive to continue to work. Yep. As do we. That's good. And uh, it's very interesting to hear about the the number of over-the-air updates you maybe have done. And it's it's really cool that the, for the one wheel, that seems to have been a big part of the, the product delivery that was being recalled. Um, but overall, the conclusion here is a lot is done to try to, you know, to try to make it as the message as broad as possible as it should be correct and, you know, help the company do that. That's we, great. We prefer to get the message directly to those consumers yes. as opposened to just through the media. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, Commissioner Cavanaugh, I'll just go back to you. Um, in terms of trends on the vehicle fire. So I think you've spoken a lot about uh, the the Frankenstein, to use your, your term, kind of the conversion uh, e-bike being a problem, the non-UL certified being a problem, um, the, you know, the amount of uh, just road uses that's happening. I, I also want to point out that you guys have tried to do different things to combat this. Um, you've done a trade-in program with delivery workers. I know the New York Times came out with a piece kind of highlighting, hey, it wasn't working. Um, you know, there was a the UL certification process has now been signed into law um, locally there. Are, do you see, I guess, you know, just there's a lot of negative trends, I feel like. Are there any positive trends you've seen? I know it's still a very new problem, but are, are there things you can point to to say, hey, and clearly you don't have all the power you need to just stop these fires by any means. But are there any trends where you'd say where this is making a difference and we're on the we're on the going in the right direction? Yeah, I think the one thing I would say is that prior to maybe the last few months, this was something we talked about at fire service conferences with other fire departments, but we really didn't see that other people had sort of heard those those warnings about these devices. Frankly, you know, you found people in the industry were in the know, but not necessarily your average consumer. And I would say that, you know, I um, do a lot of visits to the deliveristas, to different sites that we've been to, to different neighborhoods. And more and more, I'm starting to get people saying to me, you know, I had an e-bike um, and I replaced it. Or, you know, my neighbors had five of these in the hall and I asked them to remove them. So I do think finally um, we're sort of penetrating the average consumer. And I think that is good news. You know, it does mean for between the combination of you mentioned uh, the mayor, recently signed local law 39, which bans not only well batteries from being sold. The combination of that and the public service announcements, I think will begin to make a dent in those folks who don't depend on these devices for a living, but we're just buying them as consumer devices, you know, wrongly thinking that if they got it on Amazon or they bought it in a local bike shop, that it must be certified. And so I think we are making a dent there. I think where our challenges remain are with the universe of folks you know, these are dangerous, but need them anyways. Um, may not have access to safer devices, or as a lot of people have mentioned, are using the device in a way it wasn't really manufactured for. Um, and then the long-term disposal, which we've talked about here, and is certainly something 
that's a concern for us too because you know wherever these are stored if it's in the five boroughs and they were to catch fire we have to go there too so even as we confiscate them and store those confiscated batteries um even where they are and in, in their long-term life cycle is something we care about but i do think we are starting to penetrate the public narrative about you know understanding how to use a device safely or for us yeah um okay and i'm curious how much just more in your opinion, because again, I think this falls outside of what you your the scope of what the you could do as the fire commissioner. But um, you know, if I lived in New York City today and I wanted to buy an electric vehicle, a Tesla, let's say, I'm going to I'm going to be provided with a a government subsidy to do that, uh, a pretty hefty one. Um, you know, why isn't there more work being done? There's a pretty simple solve here, I think, with a lot of the especially on the delivery side. You, you know. We, we see a lot of e-bike conversion kits being bought. I would say the number one reason those are those are generally purchased is affordability. Um, the number one reason the aero bikes are purchased, from what I can tell, is affordability. Um, why? Where is the government stepping in and saying, we can get we can get 50,000 bikes off the street. We could just, you know, we could pay for them. And that would still be a heck of a lot cheaper than the $7,500 we're giving to each consumer to buy, you know, a really big automobile. Like, um, do you think there's enough pressure there? Are we moving fast enough? I mean, we talk about the tragedies of these fires. They're tragic. Um, but I don't see, you know, I guess I'm just being the uh, Jerry Maguire, show me the money. But like, why, why, where's the money in this situation? Um, when we, it seems like we got plenty of money on the car side. Anyone can take that. I guess. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, it's never fast enough for me because as long as these fires are happening, um, then I would have liked this to happen yesterday, right? But what I would say is that there are bills in Congress, you know, unfortunately, the current um, sort of state of of the House is holding those bills up. But there are bills in Congress and I would like to see those be passed. They will um, include not only regulation, but money is in some of those bills for exactly what you're talking about. Um, we do have a fund locally here in the city that was just that issue was package of local laws that we just passed around UL certification. So I would definitely like to see that go faster. I know we're working with the delivery companies to really both get the word out, but also, you know, I do think that the delivery companies have to play a real role here. Um, you know, not every e-bike is for one of these apps, but it is the apps that have created really the demand for this type of work and causes someone to buy one of these bikes. And so, you know, we'd really like them to step in um, the money and the access to their drivers that we do not. I'll just echo, uh, it's outside of uh, everybody's lane that's on the panel here, but except the commissioner mentioned Congress had, uh, they almost had that in the Inflation Reduction Act and um, ultimately it was pulled at the sort of last minute. But um, one thing, the president's bipartisan infrastructure law enacted in 2021, uh, you know, includes, uh, you know, billions of dollars for, uh, you know, new, um, you know, bikeways and uh, more pedestrian friendly and micro mobility friendly uh, pathways. So the, if you build it, they will come. You all know uh, the numbers don't lie that people want these uh, new ways of moving around, um, but they want to do it safely. And um, so there is a ton of money being poured into infrastructure across the country uh, that it providing safer um, micromobility transportation. Not on the tax front uh, uh, yet, but I know, as the commissioner mentioned, that's still being considered in Congress. I just on that, do you see that being, I mean, just, like, is there any acceleration to that with, you know, I remember meeting with you, Commissioner Kavanaugh, I had the 
you know, I had the most updated number of fire, lithium ion fires. And then, you know, I met with you the next day and you said, oh, it's up by one or two. Like, these are like, these are happening every day. These are buildings going up. Like, I know we can't move that that quickly on, always, but, you know, is there, do you, do you foresee emergency relief funding coming to New York or something like this, given the fires? You know, again, not something that we, you know, have jurisdiction over or get to decide. Um, I'll just say uh, that, you know, communicating with elected representatives um, you know, is important part of that equation. Uh, and that, you know, to the extent uh, any of our agencies, you know, we, we do work together on raising awareness about this issue. If there's an opportunity to do that, I mean, we're here now. Uh, if there's other ways to highlight um, the safety concerns and needs, you know, we want to do that. Uh, none of us want to get that call, the next call that we will get um, that somebody is, you know, tragically, you know, died in the situation. Yeah. It's just like, it's one of those really frustrating things where, you know, you can go outside this building, you can see amazing delivery cargo vehicles. You all certified all these things. Most likely those delivery workers in New York though, would see that price point and do the math and just say, there's no way. And so, and yet again, we, we know these incentives drive the adoption. And so, um, well, clearly, you know where I stand on this and the hope for, for more money. Um, Moving to regulation, I think for both of you here in attendance, um, you know, we talked about Commissioner Kavanaugh talked about the the UL certification regulation in selling e-bikes in the city. Can you speak to other regulation you see coming and what that process is going to look like around battery regulation? And then specifically, given the audience and the breadth of vehicles, are we just talking about e-bikes or are we talking about scooters, you know, one wheels, uh, you know, uh, the, the gem vehicles we saw earlier that are still not cars, but they're, they're, they're battery. Just curious what the landscape looks like for regulation and how far. Sure. Um, so it's, it's a great question and it's, it's great timing for that question. So we are currently, as, as we were talking about just before we started, right, this is in so many ways, still new technology and, and regulation takes time to catch up to technology. And in many ways, that's a good thing because you, you regulating for something that it hasn't really fully formed becomes problematic and we're not a pre-market. We don't approve products before they come to the market. Our, our mission, our authority goes to things once they're on the market to the extent there's ways to make them safer because they're presenting issues. And so in this space, when we're talking about e-bikes, when we're talking about scooters, and lithium-ion batteries. There's a variety of, of work going on right now at CPSC. We're working with UL on a couple of their different standards. Uh, Commissioner Kavanaugh came down and testified. We had a forum on lithium-ion batteries in late July where we had a, a wide swath of, of industry stakeholders, consumer stakeholders, helping to educate us on the state of industry, the state of play. We are doing research on what it would look like uh, to whether we're adopting those voluntary standards that currently exist. Are there tweaks needed to make them more system safe as opposed to one-off safe? Are we talking about what we're looking at in terms of, of studying as batteries that would go across micromobility products as opposed to just a regulation for um, lithium-ion batteries in e-bikes or just in e-scooters? At the same time, we're looking on the mechanical side. As I mentioned, we've got bike standards that go back to the 1970s. We are looking, uh, we've proposed this year to start looking at mechanical issues with e-bikes. Are there any 
where regulation can help is needed. You know, the brake standard for your old Schwinn probably isn't going to be as helpful for your new e-bike and, and the power and the horsepower that it has. Are there other mechanical issues that need to be looked at? We're not clear that it's going to result in regulation, but it's something that we're looking at. We're also collecting data in a way that we hadn't collected before. You know, right now, when you go to the emergency room, hopefully none of you, but if one were to go to the emergency room and be in, injured in an e-bike incident, the code for how that's recorded uh, still just says bike. Starting on January 1st, we have a code that will be e-bike to allow us to actually get some hard data on what is the differential. Because we just came out with uh, an annual micromobility report. We found uh, over a six-year period, 369,000 emergency department vi visits between e-bikes, hoverboards, and e-scooters. And the trend is up. It was averaging at 36,000 when they started the study. It's now over 90,000 a year from those three products combined. But we don't have as good fidelity yet on the details of that. And so, you know, we're looking for more fidelity. We're trying to get to the heart of most of those injuries, unfortunately, involve motor vehicles and e-bikes or scooters. But there's obviously a rising number of injuries and fatalities involving fire. And that's something we're also looking at as well. Uh, for for anyone that wants to see that report, oh, it's up on our website cpsc.gov. Uh, it, it's right now it's on the homepage, um, but if not, if you just search it, micro micro mobility report, uh, and it just came out this week. Uh, and so it's got a, real, a lot of really good data. It's got a little bit of demographic data, um, tidbits like uh, we're seeing the more women were injured than men in hoverboards, men for e-bikes and e-scooters. There's some demographic data uh, around a variety of those pieces, gender issues, age issues, and then of course, just some of that raw data around numbers of injuries. Doesn't speak of course to the growing popularity. It's not a rate level yet. We're still working on gathering that data as well. Just because there's more injuries, that doesn't mean they're happening more frequently. You just maybe more people are using them. And that's, again, when we talk about research, that's part of our research. Absolutely. So for anyone out there, I think there's a lot of you probably interested in digging into that report, a lot of analytical people here. So go to your websites on your homepage, right? CPSC.gov. Great. And, and just real short, no, uh, it takes us generally to follow the federal regulatory process to write a regulation. It's usually years. Um, what we're looking at, we do treat, also to answer your question, we, we try, we treat classes of hazardous materials similarly. So, you know, uh, lithium ion batteries, uh, you know, we have requirements for uh, communicating to the public and uh, keeping manifests on however you're moving the, the batteries around. Uh, we do that. We actually set uh, and try to set international standards. So when you're importing products or moving them overseas, that you don't have to go through a bunch of different regulatory pathways. When you go to Europe or Japan, we, our agency, leads the international body that establishes and harmonizes regulations. So we continue to do that work, and, and that we're always trying to update, and we welcome your input if there's something onerous, um, you know, from that international transportation space. But also, uh, you know, we have a process that if our regs don't fit what you're trying to do, we have a special permit process that allows uh, to consideration of deviating from uh, the regulations that, that we've established um, overall. But our focus is actually giving out grants to uh, emergency responders uh, like FDNY uh, in the state uh, of New York, uh, California, 
Um, and then research and development. We are actually working with an incredible team in Detroit and University of Texas on how to mitigate the risk of a lithium-ion battery fire uh, when it's being moved, like in a truck uh, or, you know, um, a, a, in a uh, location. Um, so we welcome if you have ideas and you, you're aware of risks and want to mitigate them, we do have R&D grant money uh, and we're focused on that. So we're looking at solving the solution from from every angle uh, and and really uh, helping uh, helping uh, advance a dialogue uh, for innovation, safety, efficiency. I, I actually really appreciate that that point, and of course, you being here and talking about you know clearly there's people in the audience that are probably thinking about solutions to these problems. Not everyone's making a vehicle. Some people are thinking, how do I make sure that vehicle doesn't explode? Um, okay, so final thought for for the people building in the crowd. One thing I'll often hear is. Oh, it's regulation. Regulation favors the incumbent. That's why we have pedals on these bikes that don't need pedals. That's why, you know, Bosch is going to, you know, get in there with all their money and they're going to lobby and we're all going to have to have Bosch motor systems. Um, and so I, I just don't want to be a part of it. I, I'm going to stay away from it. You know, that, what's the, there's that famous saying, right? 3,452. Like, why is Silicon Valley successful? It's 3,452 miles from D.C., right? Um, like, what do you what do you say to the entrepreneurs that are very concerned about regulatory capture and about actually not not actually spurring innovation, but actually favoring the incumbents and what they want because they're bigger, they're more established, they can lobby better. You know, what's what's the overall response to that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, ultimately you need your voice represented in Washington. Uh, if you're not sitting at the table, then you might be uh, on the menu. Um, and so we, our doors are wide open. And uh, I think ultimately the other way you also can fail out here is by not doing your homework and not mitigating risks from a safety standpoint. And that's what the three of us think about exclusively is risks uh, to the public which is ultimately risk to your bottom line uh, if you're not considering those risks. So, and and we try to help uh, where we can. Um, if there's an obstinate uh, entity that you know doesn't want to acknowledge a risk and you know doesn't want to uh, you know adhere to actual established regulations, you know then we have you know bigger problems. But um, we tend to want to come to solutions, and I think um, that that not all of Washington is the same. How about that? And I, and I would just throw. On top of that, real quick, that generally speaking, absent congressional direction, so excellent point, make sure your voice is being heard, but regulation is the last thing we do. Uh, we'll start with education. We'll start with uh, a recall. If there's one manufacturer having a specific product that's raising a specific issue, uh, we'll maybe move to working with a voluntary standard circumstance. But mandatory regulation, because it takes years, and actually takes, it seems to take us years longer than everybody else even, um, is, is the last recourse, I think, for two reasons. One, it takes a lot of time, but also uh, because it's going to affect an entire product category. And so it's got to work for everything that fits under there. And yeah, sometimes, unfortunately, that does benefit incumbents. Sometimes it provides a space for others to enter because now there's a level playing field, but it's, it's at the end. And so we're not generally having this conversation unless there's deaths or injuries or significant risk of either. Um, but I, I do think making your voice heard is obviously always going to be the best way. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Commissioner Kavanaugh, we'll 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 let you end it. Um, what would be if what can this industry do for you? If there's anything you're talking to people that make vehicles and make software around vehicles, and 
um, you know, of course, are committed to being as safe as possible. What, what do you leave the industry with? What can we do for you? So I will jump off of what my colleagues said and just be even more crystal clear because that is easy to do with the type of work we do, which it is literally about life and death when it comes to these batteries and the fire department, right? We are only going um, because these are catching fire and killing people. And while that may and should be scary, I think what it means is one, is all the more reason bring us in early. Um, let's take it that way. And but what I'd also say is we're not a re regulatory agency. Our vote in the five boroughs. We actually had some of the electric car companies bring us out to California and let our members drill on their electric cars. And that has been tremendous for us developing operators for this new technology that has not required regulation. So I'd really encourage folks in the private sector. Um, I do know Silicon Valley a little bit and the culture. I think they think of a uh, government entity like the FDNY as maybe not a partner. I'm not sure they think of us when they're developing new products, um, but please do. We do get offers um, from private sector, like I said, to come look at new equipment, to drill on it, um, both to protect our members, um, but also to give them a sense of whether or not there is a public danger that they're not accounting for. Um, and it's certainly better off handled. On the front, in the back. So, we encourage this room, you know, in the short term on e bikes, it is a it is a regulation issue. So, please call your congressman, but it is also a money issue. We could change the bike of every delivery worker in the city, but be significantly less worried every day. Um, and in the medium term, consider us partners. You know, we love to collaborate, we do love to innovate. Most every tool in the service was created. I'm a member of the FDNY tinkering um, at home or at work. So this is a pretty innovation granted, even though you may not think of us that way. So please bring us in early. Um, it helps make sure our people are safe and, and citizens are safe. So we're looking to partner with you. Okay, great. Well, you heard it there. Uh, you got any sort of delivery micromobility vehicle. Commissioner Kavanaugh wants to ride it, wants to wants to be the, the, the first to uh, test it out with her, with her crew. Um, so we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for coming all the way out here uh, to both of you. And of course, Commissioner Kavanaugh, thanks for joining us as well. Please join me in giving these all uh, these folks a round of applause.